Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. On that same drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to have both the daily text reading and the lesson for the day sent to you from the Course in Miracles Society. Uh, my name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. <clears throat> and today, we begin a new chapter. Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind. We'll be reading Section 1, Introduction and Section 2, Special Principles for Miracle Workers. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 26. My attack thoughts are attacking my invulnerability. And by grace, um, I found this really excellent poem that's so reflective of the lesson today. Uh, it's a little bit long, but if you'll bear with me, I think you'll see <clears throat> the same thing in it that I did. It's called Revived. I whispered so to not wake my dreams on shattered glass. I tiptoed away from the truth in the dark of the night. I hid with my shadows of doubt. I smiled at the world, each hidden fear a trophy on my mind shelf. I told myself that one day someone will see me and they will pity me, comfort me, save me from this broken dream. I thought I just needed to wait with my story of pity for my knight in shining armor. So I tiptoed through the broken shards of pain. I hushed my voice when I craved to shout. I allowed my stories to build in pity, in weakness, in lack, so I could be saved. One day after another, I walked with my recorded pain as evidence for my right to be saved. It was in the night. I felt the sword of truth pierce my heart. It was in the night I touched a past life of love. It was in the night I chose to no longer whisper but to shout for love. I chose to not wait to be saved, but to help myself. I chose to pull each bitter thorn of pity from the beauty of my rose and allowed it to bloom. Now I do not tiptoe on broken glass. I dance on each reflected shard, but heed no pain. I do not wait for love. I live with love. Surviving the day, reviving at night, and never a victim again. It's a poem by Heather Lee about my attack thoughts that attack my invulnerability. And that's it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Lori. That was magnificent. Wow. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. waiting for love, I am it. Thank you, Lori. Very good. Yeah, I liked it too. It's a hard poem, hard lesson, um, but beautiful when it's seen. So, thanks guys. Here's our reading list this morning. 
We have Lemoyne, Diana, Robin Marie, Jessica, Donna, and Karen. We're joined in listening this morning by Ida and Joe and Judy. Uh, who else might have joined us would like to say good morning or be on the reading list? Morning, it's Sandra. I can read. Thanks, Sandra. Morning. Morning. Good morning. It's Harrison. I'm listening. Good morning, Harrison. All right. I think that's all of us. Okay. So, new chapter. Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind, Introduction. This is a course in mind training. All learning involves attention and study at some level. Some of the later parts of the course rest too heavily on these earlier sections not to require their study. You will also need them for preparation. Without this, you may become much too fearful when the unexpected does occur to make constructive use of it. However, as you study these earlier sections, you will begin to see some of their implications, which will be amplified considerably later on. Lemoyne. Chapter 3, Retraining the Mind, Section 1, Introduction. This is a course in mind training. All learning involves attention and study at some level. Some of the later parts of the course rest too heavily on these earlier sections not to require their study. You will also need them for preparation. Without this, you may become much too fearful when the unexpected does occur to make constructive use of it. However, as you study these earlier sections, you will begin to see some of their implications, which will be amplified considerably later on. The reason a solid foundation is necessary because of the confusion between fear and awe to which we have already referred and which so many people hold. You will remember that we said that awe is inappropriate in connection with the sons of God because you should not experience awe in the presence of your equal. However, it was also emphasized that awe is a proper reaction Awe is a proper reaction in the presence of your Creator. I have been careful to clarify my own role in the atonement without either over or understating it. I have also tried to do the same in connection with yours. I have stressed that awe is not an appropriate reaction to me because of our inherent equality. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Diana. Hi, good morning. Number two. The reason a solid foundation is necessary is because of confusion between fear and awe, to which we have already referred and which so many people hold. You will remember that 
you said that awe is an inappropriate in connection with the sons of God because you should not experience awe in the presence of your equals. However, it was also emphasized that awe is a proper reaction in the presence of your creator. I have been careful to clarify my role in the atonement without either over or underestimating it. I have also tried to do the same in connection with yours. I have stressed that awe is not an appropriate reaction to me because of our inherent equality. Number three, some of the later steps in the course, however, do involve a more direct approach to God himself. It would be most unwise to start on these steps without careful preparation or all will be confused with fear and the experience will be more traumatic than the artistic. Healing is of God in the end. The means are being carefully explained to you. Revelation may occasionally reveal the end to you, but to reach it, it means are needed. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And Robin Marie, if you'd like to do paragraph three and then roll right into section four, or section two, please. Thanks. Okie doke. Let me go up one sentence. I have stressed that awe is not an appropriate reaction to me because of our inherent equality. Some of the later steps in this course, however, do involve a more direct approach to God himself. It would be most unwise to start on these steps without careful preparation or awe will be confused with fear and the experience will be more traumatic than beatific. Healing is of God in the end. The means are being carefully explained to you. Revelation may occasionally reveal the end to you, but to reach it, the means are needed. Two, special principles for miracle workers. One, the miracle abolishes the need for lower order concerns. Since it is an out-of-pattern time interval, the ordinary considerations of time and space do not apply. When you perform a miracle, I will arrange both time and space to adjust to it. Thank you, Robin Marie. And Jessica, if you'd like to do special principle one and two, please. Sorry, I just lost my place. Hold on a second, please. Um, oh, can I go after? Can someone go else first? Oh, sure. Sure. Okay, thanks. Donna, is that, uh-huh. Donna, if you'd like to do... Paragraph 4 and Paragraph 5, or Principle 1 and 2, please. Okay. 
paragraph four. Special principle one. The miracle abolishes the need for lower hyphen order concerns since it is an out of pattern time interval. The ordinary considerations of time and space do not apply. When you perform a miracle, I will arrange both time and space to adjust to it. Paragraph 5, Principle 2. Clear distinction between what has been created and what is being created is essential. All forms of correction or healing rests on this fundamental correction and level perception. Thank you, Donna. And Karen. Special Principle for Miracle Workers, number two, paragraph five. Clear distinction between what has been created and what is and what is being created is essential. All forms of correction or healing rest on this fundamental correction and level perception. Principle three. Another way of stating the above point is never confuse right with wrong mindedness. Responding to any form of miscreation with anything except a desire to heal or a miracle is an expression of this confusion. Thank you, Karen. And Sandra. Miracle Principle 3. Another way of stating the above point is never confuse right with wrong-mindedness. Responding to any form of miscreation with anything except a desire to heal or a miracle is an expression of this confusion. Miracle Principle 4. The miracle is always a denial of this error and an affirmation of the truth. Only right-mindedness can create in a way that has any real effect. Pragmatically, what has no real effect has no real existence. Its effects, then, is emptiness. Hmm. Being without substantial content, it leads itself to projection in the improper sense. Thank you, Sandra. And Jessica, are you able then to do paragraph 7 yes. and 8? Okay. Yes. Um, miracle principle 4, paragraph 7. The miracle is always a denial of this error and an affirmation of the truth. Only right-mindedness can create in a way that has any real effect. Pragmatically, what has no real effect has no real existence. Its effect, then, is emptiness. Being without substantial content, it lends itself to projection in the improper sense. Principle five. 
The level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for healing. Until this has occurred, healing cannot be understood. Forgiveness is, as, is an empty gesture unless it entails correction. Without this, it is essentially judgmental rather than healing. Hmm. Thank you, Jessica. And let's see, would there be a new reader for paragraph 8 and 9? New reader for 8 and 9? Okay, back to you, Lemoyne. Special Principle 5. The level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for healing. I'm going to read that again. The level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for healing. Until this has occurred, healing cannot be understood. Forgiveness is an empty gesture unless it entails correction. Without this, it is essentially judgmental rather than healing. Special Principle 6. Miraculous forgiveness is only correction. It has no element of judgment at all. Quote, forgot... Quote, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. In no way evaluate what they do. It is strictly limited to an appeal to God to heal their mind. There is no reference to the outcome of their misthought. That does not matter. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Diana. Number six, uh, chapter nine, um, number six. Miraculous forgiveness is only correction. It has no element of judgment at all. Quote, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, unquote. In no way evaluates what they do. It is strictly limited to an appeal to God to heal their minds. There is no reference to the outcome of their misthought. That does not matter. Um, paragraph 10, number 7. The biblical injunction, quote, be of one mind, unquote, is the statement for revelation readiness. My own injunction, quote, do this in remembrance of me, unquote, is the request for cooperation from miracle workers. It should be noted that the two statements are not in the same order of reality. The later involves a time awareness, since to remember implies recalling the past and the present. Time is under my direction, but timeless belongs to God alone. In time, we exist for and with each other 
the timelessness we co-create with God. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And Robin Marie, if you'd like to complete with principle number seven, please. Principle number seven. The biblical injunction, quote, be of one mind, unquote, is the statement for revelation readiness. My own injunction, quote, do this in remembrance of me, unquote, is the request for cooperation from miracle workers. It should be noted that the two statements are not in the same order of reality. The latter involves a time awareness, since to remember implies recalling the past and the present. Time is under my direction, but timelessness belongs to God alone. And time we exist for and with each other. And timelessness, we coexist with God. Thank you, Robin Marie. And thank you, everyone who read this morning. Um, I can touch briefly some of these ideas, but I think we'll rely on our discussion um, when we open the floor to really reveal um, the points that he's trying to make here. In any event, he wants us to know this is a course in mind training. All learning involves attention and study at some level. A solid foundation is necessary because the confusion between fear and awe. I have stressed that awe is a proper reaction in the presence of your creator and awe is not an appropriate reaction to me because of our inherent equality. In paragraph 3, healing is of God in the end. The means are being carefully explained to you. Revelation may occasionally reveal the end to you, but to reach it, the means are needed. So as regard means, we have some special principles. The first one being, the miracle abolishes the need for lower order concerns because it's an out of pattern time interval. We will rely on Christ's control to arrange time and space. To adjust to it. And the second principle, a clear distinction between what has been created, that would be the soul, and what is being created, that is mind, are essential. All forms of correction or healing rest on this fundamental correction in level perception. The third principle, another way of stating the above point is never confuse right and wrong mindedness. Responding to any form of miscreation with anything except a desire to heal or a miracle is an expression of this confusion. The fourth principle of miracle is always a denial of this error and an affirmation of the truth. Only right-mindedness can create in a way that has any real effect. The fifth principle, the level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for healing. Forgiveness is an empty gesture unless it entails correction. 
Without this, it is essentially judgmental rather than healing. And six, miraculous forgiveness is only correction. It has no element of judgment at all. Finally, seven, be of one mind is a statement for revelation readiness. My own injunction, quote, do this in remembrance of me, is the request for cooperation from miracle workers. Time is under my direction, but timelessness belongs to God alone. In time, we exist for and with each other. In timelessness, we coexist with God. And so, let's see, speaking of time, Don is going to um, lead our lesson reflection this morning, but the floor can be open for 20 minutes or so to see what this opens up for us. There you have it. Good morning, Karen. I have a thought. Number five, the level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for healing. So this is in this is kind of a question, you know, just confirming that I understand what this means. Um, it's the level of the ego and the time-space continuum of the ego reality, horizontal plane, to the vertical, which is the shift, the level adjustment power of the miracle induces right perception, so it shifts you to the heart or the Holy Spirit level, the spirit of the level of love, the level of divine consciousness. So, um, forgiveness with, with love is never judgmental. But if you just forgive from the ego level, you're just acknowledging that there's a need for correction. I think I'm complete. And if I got that wrong, please correct me. No, not at all. That was very good, Karen. Um, you brought in a lot of things uh, to that. And um, <laughs> he starts off this whole introduction with, this is a course in mind training, and you'd do well to study it. <laughs> And boy, you know, as the years go by, that is really true for me. Um, it seems as though time plods along and situations come up and people come into our lives and and um, we're trying to practice these principles. And every year we start over again at Miracle Principles and and every year for me, they become more and more and more clear. Um, so that in my rearview mirror, <laughs> um, I'm able to understand a little better um, what he's talking about, mostly because I've made all these mistakes <laughs> um, and discovered uh, what he's talking about. And so when he says uh, some study um, wouldn't hurt you at all at the beginning, 
Um, I take that to mean, Lori, why don't you go back over those miracle principles and see how much more they open up to you as you go along. You've had this, this, and this experience, and how, how do those experiences fit into the miracle principles, and what do they reveal to you? Or at least that's been my approach. Um, as regarding principle number five, the way I read that now um, is about, like you said, the, the level adjustment power. Um, what he's talking about is the sudden shift in perception from behavior or bodily or ego concerns to higher level or the spiritual realm, the level adjustment power from mind to soul induces right perception for healing. That is to say, when I can perceive the truth, when I'm allowing Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of a brother to me, the truth of their perfection, their wholeness, their completeness, I will only have that awareness in my mind Miraculous forgiveness is involved in that because I'm not looking at behavior. I'm not looking at anything I've laid on this brother about their suffering or their concerns or their forms of error. I'm not saying, oh, my brother, you know, if you could only see this differently. Um, I'm doing the scene with my mind and communicating that wholeness to them by my acceptance and embrace of that person wherever they may be in their mind that's the appeal um, for the shift for that shift in that person's awareness that no their mistakes can have no effect because look this brother is embracing me in my wholeness wholeness would come to that brother's mind uh, in a way that would restore truth to that brother that their mistakes have no effect on them and their wholeness. It's an interrelationship um, where we appreciate together that we are belonging to each other, that we accept each other, that love is the nature of our relationship regardless of the appearance that um, the circumstances might have. Um, that propels us both together to the realm of truth where illusions have no effect. Um, and that's basically a good description of a miracle. Um, as they say, a miracle is an act of thought whereby two minds perceive their oneness and become glad. Um, in no way does it involve um, examination of error or correction of a brother or um, looking at him from my ego and telling him you really could be doing a better job friend <laughs> you know um, I think I think that's um, how we both uh, escape the pitfall of judgment that someone is in error in point of fact there is no error 
do I have time to say something, or is it seven? Oh, no, you definitely I... have time. Please. Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, this brought up something for me. Um, when I was in my 20s, I was married to a man who made love to me, kissed me that evening, and in the morning said goodbye to me. And I, uh, for years, uh, would pray that I could forgive him because we had a very small child together. We had a life together. And um, I was devastated. My house felt like a tomb. Um, I would. I bought a dog so that I could go home with my little girl uh, to feed the dog. And um, one day, maybe even like 20 years later, 15 or 20 years later, um, this man came onto the tennis courts that we had built together. And I saw him over there, and I went over... And I corrected him. <laughs> I couldn't get close to him. I could only get like 20 feet maybe away away from him. I couldn't get close to him. I said, this is my property now. You need to get off. You hurt me so badly. Do not do that to anyone else. And after I told him my feelings straight up, then I could let that go. So it was interesting because the more my prayers did not do it. I needed to set him straight uh, what he had done to my heart. So I don't know how that fits here, but for sure, um, you know, my being able to tell him my feelings was really essential for me to be able to let go. So that's, you know, I don't know anybody has (laughs) I don't have any feelings uh, you know about revenge I never had any feelings about revenge toward him and I always prayed that he'd find someone else or whatever but that was um, how it worked out for me (laughs) thank you thanks for sharing that Robin Marie This is Donna. That's a beautiful uh, share, bringing it up for healing. And I want to say that your poem, Lori, reminds us of the suffering that error brings. And I found (laughs) this brief reading here mind-blowing. And... um, and uh, particularly the first two and three miracle, it's so wonderful because I didn't get uh, another way of saying, yeah, I didn't get two. And then he clarified three. And I thought, oh, how beautiful, because I had been thinking about two for a while. So what came to me... Uh, with what we're supposed to be learning in the introduction, at least how I understood it was this. So I did write it out. We are learning to let our holy mind, 
unfold by letting Jesus do miracles by our non-judgment and look and looking away from hyphen do not entertain the thought that maintains error and its thorns that blame entertains. In this way, we are available to Jesus and have no need to go through the act of forgiveness, which would require time to undo, delaying miracle readiness moment to moment. I am complete. That was beautiful, Donna. Thank you. The funny thing is, I just had it, the forgiveness, just prior to, um, is that Karen or Robin, or, I'm sorry, I forget names, but just before the testimony of the young woman, I'm complete. Mm. Thank you. Good morning, this is Sandra. And retraining the mind, and I'm I'm thinking about Robin Marie's share. Um, You know, I either want to attack or, or I get attacked by somebody else because either my needs aren't being met or their needs aren't being met. And, um... And it's my responsibility to meet my own needs. It's also their responsibility to meet their own needs. But because I came here on this planet on purpose to bring light and love and um, to a very kind of dark place, I'm, I, I want to support that person in meeting their needs. Why do I want to support that person in meeting their needs? Because I want my needs to be met as well. So it, it seems to me that, um, Robin, in your, in your response to um, the father of your child, that that was a need for you. You had to, to say how you felt. And, and that's why it was, you were able to let it go finally, really let it go, because you had a need. You needed to express yourself and say how you felt. And you asked for what you wanted as well, which was you don't want him on your property. You want him to, you know, to, to go away, which was loving to you. He may not have perceived it as loving for himself, but that's, that's his problem. <laughs> um, and I think that this relates very much to um, my attack thoughts are attacking my invulnerability because one of the needs we have as a body is for um, food and shelter. That's why we have any needs. The the truth of who I am has no needs. But because I'm having a body experience, I do have needs. And um, 
And the thing is, when they're not getting met, the truth is that God's plan for me is perfect happiness. So God's plan for me is to have all my needs met eventually. But there may be some cutting edge where I have an opportunity to heal. And so the opportunity to heal trumps the opportunity to meet my needs because that's the ultimate need here on this planet is for all of us to heal and return to dude, this is yours, our original factory setting. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and what I, the thing that I love so much, especially about these meetings, is because we, we help each other to meet our needs. We share our challenges. We share our victories. And that's a need. That's a need I have. It's a need I have to share. And since I live alone and I'm not partnered, I have a strong need to share. And it helps me to, to integrate these principles and to integrate the mind training. So um, I, I'm not invulnerable. I mean... Uh, yeah, I am. I am invulnerable. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not vulnerable in the sense the body is vulnerable, but that's not who I am. Um, but I use the body as a communication device to express the truth of who I am, and I'm here to serve humanity and myself because I don't think I can serve humanity if I don't take care of my needs. Um, and the bottom line is I'm responsible for meeting my own needs. I have no right to ask anybody else to meet my needs, but I have plenty to, plenty left over after I meet my needs to help others to meet their needs. And that actually meets a need of mine as well, a need for sharing. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Appreciated that. That was perfect, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. And thank you, Robin Marie, for sharing that. Um, it seems like sometimes it feels like no one else is like dealing with healing their past. And I appreciate that you shared that. Thank you. Well, and with all of that, we came just perfectly to the top of the hour. And Dawn has volunteered to share our lesson reflection this morning, so with our gratitude, Dawn, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Lori, and I want to take an instant here to thank God and um, thank Fran. <clears throat> that she is where she is doing the work, the miracles that Jesus needs done where she is. And I'm very grateful that the body is one and we're moving into wholeness. And I'm reading uh, Lesson 56, Day 26. 
My attack thoughts are attacking my invulnerability. How can I know who I am when I see myself as under constant attack? Pain, illness, loss, age, and death seem to threaten me. All my hopes and wishes and plans appear to be at the mercy of a world I cannot control. Yet perfect security and complete fulfillment are my inheritance. I have tried to give my inheritance away in exchange for the world I see. But God has kept my inheritance safe for me. My own real thoughts will teach me what it is. And from page 73, chapter 4, section 7, paragraph 85. had it marked so good I couldn't find it. And so that's how it goes. Paragraph 85. The ego is nothing more than a part of your belief about yourselves. Your other life has continued without interruption and has been and always will be totally unaffected by your attempts to dissociate. The ratio of repression and dissociation varies with the individual ego hyphen illusion. But dissociation is always involved or you would not believe that you are here. In learning to escape from the illusions you have made, your great debt to each other is something you must never forget. It is exactly the same debt that you owe to me. Whenever you react egotistically towards each other, you are throwing away the graciousness of your indebtedness and the holy perception it would produce. And um, from the review, paragraph five. The purpose of your learning is to enable you to bring the quiet with you and to heal distress and turmoil. This is not done by avoiding them and seeking a haven of isolation for yourself. You will yet learn that peace is part of you and requires only that you be there to embrace any situation in which you are. And finally, you will learn that there is no limit to where you are so that your peace is everywhere, as you are. 
day 26. My attack thoughts are attacking my invulnerability. In peace, let's have a moment of silence. My attack thoughts are attacking my invulnerability. And the last sentence of paragraph two, my own real thoughts will teach me what it is. And another way of saying that is, my own true vision will reveal what really is. And I'd like to close with a little prayer. A prayer of right seeing. I will to behold only God's thoughts in my ever holy consciousness. Amen. Oh, that was beautiful, Donna. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. I would love to take credit, but it's the Holy Spirit that leads me every time. So thank you for <laughs> he sees. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening deeply to what these lessons reveal, Donna. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Good morning, it's Karen. I really um, felt like I understood this lesson for the first time at a new level today, um, my attack thoughts are attacking my vulnerability. When I have an attack thought towards someone else, it's invariably to defend myself. And um, therefore, it's based on fear. And when I feel like someone else is about to attack me, it's definitely about fear. So the fear thought the fear thoughts are inducing um, a, a state of identification with someone or something that can be harmed. So I've obviously disidentified from the Christ self and I've identified with my ego self. So every fear thought and every belief in fear is an attack on my true self. And then I had this sensation of fear because I did the exercise very specifically um, as it was instruct as the instructions state on lesson 26. So I'm concerned about such and such, and if I that means I think this might happen, and and I was going through it, and um, I feel this sensation of fear, but. At that moment, I have a choice to believe it means something, to give it some power. The belief is the problem. The belief, what I do with a sensation that's moving through my body is no different than if I have a, a tingling in my foot, you know. Do I attach some meaning to it? Do I, you know, give it power to terrify me or 
make it into a problem, um, or I just dismiss it and offer it to the Holy Spirit and, and reaffirm that my true self is one with the divine and I have nothing to fear. I have nothing, nothing can touch that self, the true self. And that's the self I identify with. And thank you very much for letting me share that. It's just a strengthening of the affirmation of it, that my fear thoughts attack my true self. And my belief in the fear thought is the, the power of my decision. I'm complete. Oh, that was just really helpful. Thank you very much, Karen. Thank you, Karen. That was perfect. This is how I sent another powerful lesson. If I have attack thoughts, what this means to me is that if I have attack thoughts, I must believe I am vulnerable. Attack thoughts. Seeing myself or someone else as less than perfect and not as God created them or not as God created me. If I have intact thoughts, I must believe that I am vulnerable. If I'm attacking you, I must be believing that you are vulnerable. Or else, why would I attack you? It's like attacking the mythical Superman with anything less than kryptonite and believing that my attack can have effect. The same is true of myself or my brothers and sisters. I, when I think I'm attacking myself, I really am attacking my invulnerability because what God created cannot be attacked. There is no one outside who can attack because God didn't create more than one of us. If I believe I am vulnerable, I cannot be Christ because Christ is invulnerable. And if, as I'm repeatedly told that I am as God created me and that my reality is spirit and that my brother's reality is, is spirit, 
I must be one with everything and everyone. There's no one outside of me that I that I can attack or that can attack me. How different the world would appear if all of us in the world would embrace this principle that we are as God created us, which means that we are invulnerable to attack of any kind and that our reality is not the bodies which surely can be attacked, but our reality is spirit as God created it, which is invulnerable. And we're one with everyone and everything. There is literally nothing out there. There is literally no one out there who can hurt me. But as long as I believe I can be hurt, whether in my own body, or whether it's in someone else's body that I care about. I'm saying that I'm vulnerable. I'm accepting my vulnerability. And in saying that I'm vulnerable, I'm also saying that I'm right in my own self-evaluation. And the Holy Spirit is wrong. But he's telling me in this lesson that it is my attack thoughts that are attacking my invulnerability. So I have to take responsibility if I'm feeling myself attacked. I have to accept responsibility for that. It's not my brother who is attacking me. My brother in reality cannot attack me. Attack is always related to the body. Something somebody in their body has done to me. Something in my body I have done to another. But if I accept that the body is not my reality, and it's not my brother and sister's reality, then attack is meaningless. 
And that's where I want to get to. I'm complete. Well, that was really great, Harrison. Thank you so much. Yes, it was. Thank you so much, Harrison. Yes, I really appreciate your work. Thank you so much. Yes, that was excellent, beautiful. Thank you, Harrison. Oh, it's really obvious, really obvious to me that, um, you know, God does, God does not think that way. God does not attack us. And, um, you know, the, the um, <laughs> whole idea of attack and conflict has to go, um, you know, intellectually in my heart. I accept that and I know it to be the truth. But it still doesn't, it's still very obvious to me how I can go through my day full of attack, uh, thoughts of attacking myself in my identification with my body because I used um, what concerns me um, and, and in this lesson today. And I think that is what I'm going to take away from the lesson today and, and continue to try to see how having the willingness to practice this with the Holy Spirit, with God, and with all my, my companions here, um, the miracle of correction will happen for me because he undoes this insane insanity that um, thinks, you know, I'm a body that can suffer. Well, I'm still in a body um, and strongly identified with it. So, um, but I know when I do these, do these um, lessons and practices, I'm coming closer and closer to a, st- a sustained and, and constant um, state of awareness that peace is, peace is always and already available, that I need do nothing to be who I am in truth, that I am who I am in truth, and it's all that I need to uncover, um, still need to uncover and see how habitual you know, thought patterns, um, conditioned thought patterns continue to arise in me today and how they continue to make me suffer and how I truly believe there's no no um, cruelty in God and God does not wish me to suffer, that if I continue to align my thoughts with God, um, I will I will not no longer be a... a a victim of my own thinking. So here, here, here's to the to the freedom and bondage of from the bondage of of attack thoughts. Um, you know that I I the course says I can't help but project them and and you know sustain the dream if I'm holding them within myself. So I need to take responsibility for what I think and how I feel. And if I'm feeling pain, I'm, I'm, I've got errors to be um, miracleized, <laughs> vaporized, disappear. <laughs> uh, okay, that's enough out of me. I love you guys. Thank you for being here and all your beautiful shares. I am complete.
Thank you, Judy. Hi, this is Ida. Um, thank you, everybody, for doing this five days a week because it helps me a lot. And my partner was having a real hard time last night. And we was just basically listening to this for the first time for the last hour or so. And already he felt like he got some some in, you know, deep insights and and it helped him and I'm very grateful. Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Ida. How I'm beautiful really glad to hear that. Yeah, this is Sandra again really quick. I don't know about anybody else, but I could not navigate this world without this book <laughs> and other books. I just I just couldn't get through it. I'm complete. That's for sure. Thanks. This is Donna. Yesterday I caught the course in love uh, they're on um, all are chosen. <clears throat> when we really understand what that means, we'll really be someplace. But the word blame popped up out and uh, out, and I got to thinking about it. And I, it, what came was, uh, what came was, you can you can only blame in the past or the future, which means we're a- absent from the present which is where miracles and, and a peace is. So I don't know if that helps anybody, but that's, I, had to, I had to detour and avoid needing to forgive because I, I never figured out how, how do you forgive. So, that's, so I jumped from uh, giving up blame meaning, which simply means not to judge. When you look out, no matter how horrendous uh, what you see, no matter how terrible what someone has seemingly inflicted upon me, I remind myself, um, you know, don't judge. That's that's what this is all about, and it lets Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, get us along, uh, get us back on what I call the narrow path, because when we get out into the ego thought system, we're on the wide path. And Jesus warned us to stay on the narrow path and uh, do as he does. So I'm complete. I'm so um, excited about the reading for tomorrow. It's just so chock full of beautiful (laughs) stuff. But um, I'd just like to make a reference to the first special principle for miracle workers, that love or the expression of love, it, the miracle, what is a miracle, correction for a false belief or a misperception, um, 
you know, that attack in the daily lesson um, that, you know, the Course teaches us that only illusions attack illusions. You know, that um, only an ego would judge because an ego ego is a partial or a finite perception and doesn't know the totality of reality. So it sees it sees reality from its own limited perspective or point of view. So everything that it perceives, it perceives from a limited point of view and through the eyes of judgment. Now, you know, we don't have to call judgment good or bad. It just is what it is. And to understand that, that all perception is an interpretation from a limited point of view, is the the lower order concern. And I think, you know, that the way that the atonement is such a perfect remedy is that it says nothing that we perceive um, should cause us fear or be reason for us to judge it um, as good or bad and, and attack it because we can't be less than everything. And, and that idea that um, we are, we have and are Everything is how God created us. We are the kingdom of heaven. And in that, like Harrison was beautifully speaking of, there's nothing to attack because it's all one thing. It's one thing. It's God, and we are all a part of it. So there's no distinction or no um, difference or um, no separation of different things within itself. It all is itself. So, you know, the um, what the miracle and the correction abolishes is the need to be concerned about any differences, any difficulties, any problems, you know, any concerns whatsoever, because if we rest in, in the peace that's the condition for knowing who we are in the in the kingdom that we, the kingdom of heaven is, is us, is within us. Um, we no longer have that perception of seeing through a limited, um, a limited pair of eyes that that sees things as outside of itself, and that's why the ego can't understand that I have and am everything, because it's purely a in the mind as spirit and it's a whole different level of understanding who and what I am but I have to get rid of these false and limited beliefs in order to come to the awareness of who and what I am in truth and that's the way the text sets it up for me that I need to in order to know what the love of God is the power the united power and grace that runs the universes of and all the other universes. <laughs> that that power, that love, is what we are. And to know that, there's no boundaries or limits to it. It is everywhere and is in everything. But it's beyond the mind, beyond the ego's limited mind to, to grasp, to even understand it. So... Um, the miracle abolishes the need for lower order concerns. And, you know, throughout the miracle, the first couple chapters, that J.C. tells us, you know, 
the insignificance of the body. Give your body over to me. Give your mind, your thoughts over to me. And, you know, don't think and don't worry. Don't be concerned. So because he learned, he learned the insignificance of the egoic thinking, limited mind, and he learned the insignificance of um, the perception of being in a body and said there's something much bigger that we need to attend to here and uh, and value and treasure in our hearts. And that's um, (laughs) what I'd like to invest my attention and value in today. Thank you so much for giving me a, a platform to share my my enthusiasm and my love and joy for this. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. I'm going to work. I appreciate being able to share with you guys. And thank you. Appreciate the time you can spend with us, Robin Marie. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Bye. (laughs) Let's have some just quickly. Uh, I love the way this uh, introduction to Chapter 3 starts. This is a course in modern training. It's real helpful for me to just remember that. It's not about changing my behavior. It doesn't focus on what the body does or does not do. It focuses strictly on my mind. And it really helps me to keep remembering that. I don't always remember it. But this is a course in mind training. I'm complete. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. That is the point. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. (laughs) We're upside down (laughs) and backwards. Oh, yeah. This is Lori. And um, speaking of mind training, uh, I think that's the reason uh, I really love this lesson today. It took a long time. I don't know why, but uh, I needed a lot of mind training. (laughs) It took a long time for me to realize uh, the truth of this lesson. And I think it summed up in the way he begins paragraph three of the lesson, the idea for today introduces the thought that you always attack yourself. You always attack yourself. And how do I do that? I do that with my thoughts. And um, I'll give an example. Um, One of the deepest held beliefs I, I had was a belief in perfectionism. 
And um, that belief in perfectionism caused me to constantly um, evaluate myself. And in that evaluation, I found myself constantly falling short of what I expected from myself. And what did I do with that? What I did with it was to project that same error onto the world. And as a consequence, the world was always falling short of what I considered to be perfect. And finally, um, you know, attack thoughts. I would say to myself, well, I'm not attacking anyone. I'm not attacking anyone, so I don't understand why I feel vulnerable. But the thing is, it was always my own attack on myself that created all my trouble. Um, I attacked myself with the idea of falling short, and then I projected falling short on the world. And the correction for that is the atonement, the one perfect defense that cannot be used to hurt anyone or anything because it's the idea that we're all innocent, that we are all, thank you, Harrison, exactly as God created us, that the sonship, the sum of all God's souls, is a perfect creation that is entirely equal, that everything throughout may manifest in different ways, but manifest truth nonetheless. How does that jive with the idea of perfectionism? Well, if perfectionism is an idea that must be enforced, who's the enforcer? And that's, um, to me, that's a pretty good description of ego identity. The ego is the enforcer in that view of the world. In any event, um, in summary, I will say it like this. this. This lesson, my attack thoughts are attacking my invulnerability, is like saying, Um, I have an internal weather guide. And when I'm following my internal weather guide, things are always sunny. (laughs) It's always sunny in Philadelphia. No, it's always sunny in peace, okay? Um, And in that state of mind, that state of mind that accepts the atonement, there's nothing imperfect to forgive everything is already exactly as god created it and in that weather state i'm there's nothing in that weather state to project a storm you know um if i'm feeling stormy inside that's the kind of weather i'm going to create around me if i'm feeling peaceful inside um and my internal weather is calm then that's the weather I'll perceive around me. And that's the weather I'll project. I always attack myself first. And the atonement is the perfect defense. That's why he says, no first that this is fear. 
And if there's fear, that means there's not perfect love. But perfect love is the atonement. Leading directly to, I will accept atonement for myself. I will accept that it's always sunny in my internal environment. And because of that, that's what I'm going to project. I will deny the error. He said healing is deny the denial. If I'm having an internal storm, I am denying the truth about myself. And if I deny that denial and project the truth, I am projecting healing, which is another definition of the miracle. Um, in miracle principles, there was um, something I noticed that was really helpful this year. It was conflict is always intrapersonal inside myself before it is interpersonal. When my mind is healed, or I've accepted atonement for myself, I don't have that intrapersonal conflict. You know, I don't feel conflict inside myself. And without conflict inside myself, I'm not going to be experiencing conflict outside myself. And I'll be in a state of right mind. That's what he's talking about when he says, um, never confuse right mind with wrong-mindedness. <clears throat> the third principle is probably, or the second principle is probably the most helpful. All correction is it the mind's perception. I'm trying to say the same thing. When my mind is healed and complete, I'm going to be identifying with my higher mind or my Christ mind. And in that state, everything that is in my environment is equal to me, is embraced by me, is included in me. I'm just the space. I'm not identified with my body. I am the space of this nice clear weather. And in that clear weather, everything is seen as the same. I'm not making a distinction about how you behave or how you think or what I think is wrong with you or, you know, I just don't have that kind of material to project. I always attack myself first and the atonement is the remedy. And healing must be intrapersonal first before it's interpersonal and interpersonal healing is by definition a miracle where two minds recognize their oneness and are glad. Anytime there's a gap, if I perceive a gap, that gap is always in my mind. It's not somewhere outside of me. It's in my mind. And if I think you or creation is somewhere over there not included with me, I need a miracle to correct my understanding. I need to step back, <laughs> step back and accept atonement for myself. I like the idea of weather. It helps me a lot to recognize when I need to look to Holy Spirit for correction. And that, by definition, is a miracle. So... Anyway, I'm complete.
Thank you, Lori. That was really clear. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Well, I've had some other experiences um, that have kind of clarified what he's talking about. And, and that's, you know, that's the way I really um, appreciate the miracle principles and these principles is um, I, when, they're, when they're principles, I, ca- I can't uh, get a mind handle on it. I don't, I can't understand on a conceptual level. But when I have a direct experience of what he's talking about, or I have a direct experience that's wonderful, <laughs> um, that represents healing to me, that I've come to understand something, I like to go back and look at the principles again to um, to help me understand the way he's using the words and the way he's using the concepts and fit it into my experience. And that's how we learn to generalize, you know. Um, One that comes to mind real recently, um, when he says, I will arrange, is that the first paragraph? I will arrange time and space. Which paragraph is that? Oh, it's principle principle number one. A miracle abolishes the need for lower-level concerns. In other words, I don't need to be concerned about body, behavior, ego. Uh, I'm just concerned with truth. I just, I just want the truth, nothing but the truth. All healing rests on this fundamental distinction that I'm not concerned about lower-level concerns, body, mind, spirit, or body, mind, ego, behavior, all of that sort of thing. What I want is the truth. Um, sometimes Christ's mind will, or Holy Spirit will say to me, uh, say thus and such to someone. And that actually did happen not too long ago. And I, I wasn't clear on that. I, uh, it seemed, uh, well, number one, it was an idea that my mind didn't generate. It came to me. Number two, it was very specific, told me exactly what to do and say and to whom. And three, it didn't fit with anything that I could personally identify with. It was like a thought I didn't think. And I thought, (laughs) and I thought, Lori thought, boy, that's pretty far-fetched, number one. Number two, what will that person think if I say that? Number three, um, I can't relate to that at all, so I don't have a sense of personal interpretation for that. But still, spirits had say this. And 
I asked Spirit again. I mean, three times I had to have clarification to make sure I was hearing it right. And finally, uh, I was hearing it right, and so I did say this thing. And nothing seemed to happen. <laughs> I mean, I didn't notice anything happening at all as a consequence of saying that thing. And from time to time, I'd go back to that person and say, does that make sense to you? And neither one of us could relate to it in a personal way. But still it was said, and so still it was there. And it was three years later before the meaning of that thing that was said became clear. And it became clear to both of us at the same time. And as a consequence of that, um, three years later, this experience could be interpreted in that context so that everything in those three years made perfect sense. Um, it's not important to go into the details, but the point I'm trying to make is that um, Christ-controlled miracles are always for my benefit and for the benefit of the person involved. And um, there's nothing wrong. I don't think with checking, you know, is, is peace in my mind? Am I clear on what I'm hearing? Um, and it's also important to follow that guidance exactly as it's given, uh, even though my mind might not have any personal relationship to that um, guidance at all. It's still uh, Christ-controlled, and my part is to listen, learn, and do. And it turns out, um, if I'm asked to do something, and I then stand around to see what's the outcome of that, um, I'm not trusting uh, my guidance, and I will have much more peace. And I did have much more peace when I learned to trust um, and, and listen. And I think this is how, um, well, this is how, for me, my faith has been built up over the years. Uh, because every time I follow guidance exactly as I get it, something wonderful happens. Something that I would not have been able to um, arrange by my own doing. And also it sweeps up and includes um, other minds in it in a way that I never, ever could have anticipated. And so Christ's Christ guidance is um, just critical. Uh, if I think it's up to me to arrange a miracle, uh, what will happen is I will be relying on myself. And if I'm relying on myself, I cannot, um, I'm, I'm failing. I'm, I'm I'm participating in wrong-mindedness. But right-mindedness, I'll never, ever, ever fail. And as a consequence, um, my trust in my guidance will grow and grow and grow. And I'll be able to see the effect of that in more and more and more situations. Um, you see, he calls that generalize. It'll, your learning will generalize. Um, so anyway. I will arrange time and space to fit. I thought was um, I thought it was a really beautiful thing. But it's not up to me. And the minute I think it's up to me, um, I'll be in a wrong-minded situation. So, anyway, I like that principle today, and I'm complete. <laughs>
Thanks, Lori. Uh, this is Sandra, and it um, it's. I need to say something. It is up to me to take care of my bodily needs, <laughs> but but the spiritual needs, I I have to turn over, and and I can't even function as a body if my spiritual needs aren't being met. So that actually has to come first, is to take care of my spiritual needs. Um. And I do that by showing up here. Um, And I also do it by turning (laughs) all my judgments over to Holy Spirit. Um, But the bodily needs, you know, I I can pray for a miracle, but usually it takes action from the body to take care of the body bodily needs. Like I got to show up at the grocery store and buy the food <laughs> or I have to you know for for me it's it's a need of mine to have order around me so I've, I I have to do that if the, if my need is to have order if I can't afford to hide hire somebody to take care of that to create order for me then I got to do it myself or accept the fact that there's not going to be order and let go of that need because my needs can, um, my needs for the physical, to take care of this physicality of mine, um, can cause me pain as well. If I'm not willing to be flexible and, and change my thoughts about what I think I might need. So that's another one. If, um, if I can't meet the needs and I'm constantly complaining because I, I never go shopping, I never have food in the refrigerator, so I'm complaining all the time. There's no food in the refrigerator. Well, <laughs> you know, go get the food in the refrigerator. <laughs> or, or you could pray and, then, and starve to death. You could be on your knees the whole time praying and, then, and, and maybe there would be a miracle. I don't know. It depends on where your attitude is with the praying. If you're if you have expectations that when you pray there's going to be a miracle and and the food will show up then that's possible. I believe in miracles, so anything's possible with miracles. But um I think you know that sometimes I get confused <laughs> with this whole thing. Anyway, I'm complete. No, thank you, Sandra. And, you know, because it is a course in mind training, um, confusion is okay when I realize I can ask for guidance. I can't do anything. Um, If I'm relying on myself, I just can't. And that's, you know, that's the other way these principles are helpful to me. Um, Because they clarify when I've attempted to do something myself and when I could have asked for help. And um, and as a consequence, I experienced uh, a shift in the way I see things. Um, on my own, I can do nothing, you know. And that's all right, because that's part of the design, you know. The idea that I'm alone in anything is the nature of my error. Um, because I am alone in nothing. 
Yeah. Anyway, I'm complete. Yeah, that need for spiritual connection is the first and foremost need. That has to happen first before anything can happen, I think. I'm complete. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lesson 159 is a good example of that. I give the miracles I have received. Um, you can't forgive unless you've experienced forgiveness. You can't heal unless you've experienced healing. But when you're forgiven and when you've experienced healing, then that's all you really can share. You know? um, how does he say? Christ's vision is the source of all miracles. It's the home of all miracles. And that's the gift of God to me, you know. Um, not something I come up with um, on my own, that's for sure. So, excellent point, Sandra. Thank you. Any final thoughts this morning? Well, um, there you are. Thanks, Lemoyne. Hop in. Yeah, well, um, it's interesting you know I have things I wanted to say about the special principles but um, one of them (laughs) may have just been uh, uh, an attempt to project my guidance outward guidance being you know don't Don't um, don't look too. I think it's something you said, Mark. Like, don't look too hard at the specifics. But try to understand them. But like, it, the, the reading starts with, you know, be willing to study the the uh, fundamental parts of the text as as you go along, because they'll be unfolded. And uh, you know, the application is. One thing is that the application is, it's not inherently personal, but because of our sense of separation, it will be uh, an individualized curriculum. <laughs> One thing I want to bring on this discussion, I was like, where is need? Why has it gone to need? And there's a, a paragraph in the principles, in principle 51, paragraph 91, which relates the sense of the, the I think the uh, the beliefs that we have 
have individual needs is uh, is kind of it puts it as a, like the fundamental attack thought against ourselves. Um, the lesson speaks about we, you know, the 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 need for attack thoughts is tangled up with the sense of vulnerability and the need for protection. And uh, <clears throat> so on need, um, the princ- this, uh, this principle, let me get what the, what the principle actually is off the top. It says, the miracle is the only device which man has at his immediate disposal for controlling time. Only revelation transcends time, having nothing to do with time at all. And then in 90, he talked about the separation, better term than the fall. Until the separation, nothing was lacking. This meant that man had no needs at all. If he had not deprived himself, he would never have experienced things. And so then in 91, each one acts according to the particular hierarchy of needs he establishes for himself. His hierarchy, in turn, depends on his perception of what he is. That is, what he lacks. And here's the sentence. A sense of separation from God is the only lack he really needs to correct. This sense of separation would never have occurred had he not distorted his perception of truth and thus perceived himself as lack. The concept of any sort of need hierarchy arose because having made this fundamental error, he'd already fragmented himself into levels with different needs. As he as he integrates, he becomes one, or she becomes one, and needs become one according and so the one need that I think is all shared in this, <clears throat> in this world of uh, particular bodies and separation is is to correct the sense of separation from God and this ties I think directly to what you know, the sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for themselves. And that is the correction of separation from the unity. And I think this is what unleashes the power of the miracle to actually correct not just, you know, in the and the and to assist or allow or help another to correct, but also cor- correct the uh, the miracle worker <laughs> himself, me. <laughs> that in order to really operate on that level, I have to be willing to set aside whatever I think and go for what is really available to be shared. And 
that that it is in that sharing that the sense of separation can you know at least temporarily be set aside and uh, and change um, in a more ongoing way <clears throat> you know uh, to release the future and allow creation to become what's happening rather than uh, a struggling against the needs that are perceived in the world that is held as uh, just a bunch of separate things all occurring all at once. Anyway, I don't know if that's helpful, but I think that, you know, the, the sense of separation from God is the only lack we really correct. And that in that, the other needs, you know, the physical needs, they can be defined as needs of the body, lower order concern. They, they can be uh, fulfilled without effort to some degree in, in that miracle mind perception of the world. Anyway, okay. Well uh, said, I'm so Lamar. glad you're yeah, so glad you that. spoke up. Yep. And you directed me to a perfect place for this closing today. <clears throat> among among many. Uh, here's what I chose. Miracles rise from a miraculous state of mind. By being one, this state of mind goes out to anyone, even without the awareness of the miracle worker himself. The impersonal nature of miracles is because the atonement itself is one, uniting all creations with their creator. That's principle 44 and 45 is the miracle is an expression of an inner awareness of Christ and the acceptance of his atonement. The mind is then in a state of grace and naturally becomes gracious, both to the host within and the stranger without. By bringing in the stranger, he becomes your brother. Amen. And for the opportunity that we have um, to give expression to these thoughts every day, without which, um, without each other, we couldn't do. Uh, let me just say I'm very grateful. Uh, thank you, everyone. Amen. Beautiful call. Thank you.